please grab your Bible. We are going to get into the Scriptures. I just wanted to say hello and encourage you that what's going on here is not happening everywhere. So you should treasure it, uh, enjoy it, uh, be in prayer about it, and make sure that you're a part of what God's doing. Because church is not that place you go to. It's that family that you're part of. And you all have a part to play in what God's doing. So we're going to look at two verses from Ephesians chapter 4. So while you're turning there in the New Testament, um, I got asked to teach, and they said, teach on anything you want, (laughs) which is always dangerous, number one. Number two, it's hard because if, you know, when somebody says, hey, we're going through Ephesians, would you preach on these verses? Then you know what you're supposed to preach on. When they say anything you want, you have to say, God, what do you want me to talk about? You know, I've never met you guys. You don't know me. It's I'm a guest speaker. Uh, you may never invite me back again. <laughs> so, so, you know, normally guest speakers, they do something nice, like let's joy or heaven. Today, I'm going to talk about anger. Aren't you excited? Yes. Our nation is getting angrier and angrier and angrier by the day, isn't it? Would you agree? And now articles are being written, uh, surveys are happening because everybody sees it and everybody's alarmed by it and nobody knows what to do about it. Uh, One one recent survey said 79% of Americans say they are angrier today than they were a year ago. Uh, Another one said one in 10 Americans believe they have severe anger issues, whatever that means. One of the articles I looked at was entitled The United States of Anger. (laughs) You know, the left hates the right, the right hates the left, people are hurling abuse at each other, and if you turn talk radio on, which is not a good idea, then all the anger's fueling and you feel like you can't get away and you just feel like you're stained by it. And you and I, as followers of Jesus, are living in the midst of this. How do we handle it? How do we live the Jesus way in the midst of what's going on in our country? And that's what I want to talk about, not about our country, but I want to talk about what the Bible says about dealing with anger. That's what this message is called, is dealing with anger. Before I get into Ephesians, there's a verse in Philippians chapter 2 that says this, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world. Another translation, it says, among whom you appear, among whom you shine like stars in the universe. As our nation gets blacker and blacker and angrier and angrier, we as followers of Jesus living the Jesus way should shine brighter and brighter and brighter. We're living different. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. If we're not careful, we just get caught up in it and we become just like all the other people that are griping and complaining and throwing insults at each other. Well, Ephesians chapter 4 verses 25 through 32, is one of the best passages in the New Testament on relationships. When our kids were young, when they were grade school age, and they were able to read and memorize, we memorized Ephesians 4, 25 through 32, as a family. And we talked about it whenever issues came up. Whenever the kids were arguing with each other, we talked about anger, we talked about bitterness, we talked about forgiveness, we talked about truth and honesty. And right in the middle of this passage are two verses on anger, and that's what we're going to look at today. Because life is all about relationships. Think about it. Your relationship with God and your relationship with other people. That's life. That's the stuff of life. One day when Jesus was walking this earth, 
they came up to him, some, some Pharisees, and they wanted to trap him. And they said, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? What's the most important commandment of them all? And they were trying to trap him. We're going to get him because there are 613 Old Testament commandments. We're going we're to make him tell us which one's the most important. He can't answer that. <laughs> but you can't got you, Jesus, can you? Because <laughs> he's the son of God. So he didn't bat an eye. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. But he didn't stop there. He said, a second command is like it or linked to it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. He quoted Leviticus 19, 18. And then he said, there's no other commandment greater than these. All the other commandments hang on these two, is what he said. So think about that. The way my wife and I like to to word it when we're teaching parents to teach their kids this is teach your children to love God with passion and love people on purpose. If you want to know how mature you are as a follower of Jesus, it's not how many Bible studies you sat through. It's not how many Wednesday nights you've been to, not how many verses you have memorized. It's how well, how much do you love God and how well do you love people? Now, we're jumping into the book of Ephesians. All scripture is God breathed. The apostle Paul wrote this letter to the believers in Ephesus. The first three chapters are all about who you are in Christ, who we are in Christ. We're new creations, all the beautiful, amazing things God has done. It's theological, it's deep, it's beautiful. And then chapters four through six are all about how we live out this new identity. Now think about your life for a second. You are not the same person you were before you met Jesus You're a new creation. How many of you raise your hand and say, hallelujah, I know I'm not the same person, right? He changed me. First, he saved me and forgave me of all of my sin, past, present, and future. I have a new destination, eternity with the Lord. But I still am working out my salvation. I still deal with sin at times in my flesh. I'm learning to walk in the Spirit. In Philippians, it says, work out your salvation. Not work for your salvation. Salvation's a gift. It's all done by Jesus. Grace, he did it all. But we're to work out our salvation. And one of those things is learning how to deal with anger and walk and live life the Jesus way. And chapters four through six are all about that, specifically the verses we're gonna look at today. Now, uh, it's only two verses, but they're super, super powerful. Now, It's verses 26 and 27. I want to read them and then make three observations about them, all right? Verses 26 and 27, if you've got your Bible open, Ephesians chapter 4. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. That's it. In those two short verses are three powerful statements admonitions, if you will, that we need to take heed of and live out. Now, anger is nothing new, all right? It shouldn't surprise any of us here today that the first murder in the Bible happened when one brother became jealous of his other brother. Jealousy led to anger. Anger led to murder, and Cain killed Abel. Now, what is anger? Anger is an emotion We all know what it feels like because we've all experienced it. But let me give you a definition. This is a biblical definition. It's kind of clinical sounding, but here it is. Anger is a strong feeling of displeasure or hostility caused by a real or perceived offense, injury, or unmet desire, usually accompanied by a desire to seek revenge. (laughs) Well, that's funny, I think. I mean, it's not like, I'm angry and I'm going to get you. 
We all know what this is like, don't we? Now, in and of itself, anger, it's an emotion. It's neither good nor bad. It's how we handle it that makes all the difference in the world. Now, there is such a thing as righteous anger. God gets angry. Listen to Exodus 22. God is speaking. You shall not afflict or take advantage of any widow or orphan. Man, this beautiful ministry in Carmen Serdan, I haven't been there. My kids have been there. And there's, I think, 15 severely handicapped orphans. And God says, if you afflict or take advantage of any, any orphan, if you do and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry and my anger will be kindled. So God says, I'm going to get angry. Jesus himself was angry at times. In Mark chapter 3, we read the story of the man who came into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, a day like today, with a withered hand. And the Pharisees who hated Jesus because they were jealous of him and the crowds were gathering around him, they're watching him to see if he's going to heal this man with a withered hand because as far as they were concerned, uh, healing for a teacher was work and you can't work on the Sabbath, therefore you can't heal anybody on the Sabbath. So they're watching him to try to trap him. What did Jesus do? He said this, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to kill? And the Bible says they kept silent because they were seething with jealousy and anger. Mark 3, 5 says, After looking around at, at them with anger, Jesus, grieved at their hardness of heart, said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. Wow. So Jesus looks at these men. He saw their hypocrisy, their hard hearts, their lack of compassion, and he was angry. And they should have been so thrilled, like, Oh, I'm so glad my hand isn't withered like that. Hallelujah, it's restored. They should have been weeping tears of joy, but they were not, and it made Jesus angry. In John chapter 2, we read where Jesus cleansed the temple. He took a whip and overturned the tables of the money changers. He said, stop making my father's house a house of merchandise. And the disciples remembered that the scriptures said, zeal for your house will consume me. So God gets angry, but God's anger is a sinless anger. It's a holy anger. It's a righteous indignation. Righteous anger is always when God's name is slandered or his purposes are being obstructed. Here, in his compassion, God wanted to heal, and they were trying to stop it. You and I, think with me, we're made in the image of God, the Imago Dei, and once we come to Jesus, his spirit comes to live within us. So we, at times, experience this righteous anger, this righteous indignation. But the problem is we have to be really careful. When we see a child being sex trafficked or uh, an abuse taking place or someone being mistreated, we feel this righteous anger. But we have to be careful because unlike God, we, we are sinful. We're not sinless. And even our righteous anger, we can turn very quickly to self-righteousness. And we start blasting people because we know God's heart and we know God's way. We're going to tell you a thing or two. And suddenly we're in the flesh blasting people in the name of Jesus. And that's happening all over our country today by people who say, I'm a follower of Jesus, but they're not living life the Jesus way. And it's causing all kinds of confusion amongst people that don't know the Lord. Now, if we're not careful, even righteous anger can lead us to a self-righteous kind of attitude. Now, although occasionally we have this righteous indignation, for most of us, it's sinful anger that gets us into trouble because we don't know how to handle it. Aristotle said this, Anyone can become angry. That's easy. 
But to be angry with the right person and to the right degree and at the right time and for the right purpose and in the right way, that is not within everybody's power and it is not easy. (laughs) Smart guy. What he didn't know, apparently, is that Jesus is the answer, right? (laughs) I don't know anything much about Aristotle, but the only way to conquer anger is through the power of Jesus Christ who lives within you. Amen? He gives us the power to love even our enemies. He's always our example. I mean, look at Jesus. He hung on the cross. They were hurling abuse at him, angry things, mocking him. Hey, if you're the Messiah, why don't you come down from the cross while they're killing him? And what did he say? He didn't have an outburst of anger. You guys are going to get yours. No, he said, Father, what? Forgive them. They know not what they do. That same Jesus lives in you if you're a follower of him. And if you're living the Jesus way, that same ability to love not only your friends, but your enemies is available to you and me. And that's what Jesus said. You've heard, I tell you to love your enemies because the Father is good and he causes the rain to fall and the sun to shine on the just and the unjust. And so we're to live and go in his name. Those of you with young children, it's your job to train your kids how to deal with anger and how to live out what life should look like. You need to model it for them and train them. Now, there are three Greek words translated anger in our New Testament. Remember, the New Testament is written in Greek, and we have English translations, but no languages translate perfectly across. And so there are three different Greek words that we just read anger in our New Testament. The first one is the Greek word thumos. This is explosive anger, where we get mad about something and we blow up and maybe we yell or whatever. That's thumos anger. There's a second word, Orge, this is a settled kind of seething kind of anger that seeks revenge. Like you say, I don't have a problem with, I don't yell at people. I'm just thinking, I really can't stand that guy, and I'm looking for an opportunity to let him know it. And you're seething inside. This is orge anger. And interestingly, that word is used in these verses. In your anger, orgaizo, in your anger, do not sin. There's a third Greek word, paragismos, and it, maybe you're saying, like, I don't explode in anger, and I don't go around, like, you know, seething all the time. Let me ask you this. Do you ever get irritated at someone? (laughs) Oh, come on. Yes? Yes? The rest of you aren't telling me the truth. Okay. This third kind of anger is, is anger mixed with irritation and exasperation. That person just bugs me. They ticked me off. I wish they weren't here. That's anger also. Because God is love. He loves us. He loves people. And so understanding what anger is can be helpful, but knowing how to deal with it as a follower of Jesus is absolutely essential. And God tells us exactly how in these verses. So there are three admonitions. I want to give them to you. If you're taking notes, write them down. First of all, God says here through the Apostle Paul, in your anger, don't sin. That's the first thing. What I love about the Lord, there's so many things I love about the Lord. (laughs) He forgave all my sins. That's a huge one. (laughs) He's taken me to be with him forever. That's a huge one. He gave me my wife. I mean, I could go on and on about what I love about the Lord. The other thing I love about him is whenever he tells me not to do something, he tells me what to do. Whenever God says, thou shalt not, this is not my way, and we obey, we're blessed. Whenever we say, well, I know you'd tell me not to do that, but I'm going to do it anyway, disaster strikes, doesn't it? But when we walk his way, it's blessing every time. So he says, in your anger, in other words, God knows we're going to experience this anger. In your anger, don't sin. What's that mean? Well, there will be things that happen to you that will upset you, but sinful anger is a choice. We've all said, he made me so mad. She really made me angry. When we say that, we place the responsibility for our sinful anger on that person. 
and then it's a cop-out. We think, oh, hey, it's their fault. In reality, my response is my responsibility. I have the Spirit of God. I've been forgiven everything. And the end of this chapter in Ephesians 4 says that we are to forgive just as God in Christ also has forgiven you of everything. We're going to talk about that at the end of the message. Galatians chapter 5, verse 20, lists outbursts of anger as one of the deeds of the flesh. So if I say, hey, I'm filled with the Spirit of God and I hate you, something's wrong. Something's really wrong. James says, out of the same mouth shouldn't come forth blessing and cursing. So an outburst of anger means I'm not walking with God. I'm not filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm not walking in the Spirit. I'm walking in the flesh, and I'm letting anger take over. And most of us have been there, done that, including me. Let me tell you a little story. This happened years ago. You know, we started our church. God was blessing it like he's blessing your church. Our staff grew, and great things were happening. And there was this one couple on staff, and we asked them to do something. It was actually a good thing we asked them to do. It was, it was awesome. For the, but they didn't want to do it. So we said, no, no, you really need to do this. No, we don't want to do it. So finally, we had to have a meeting with myself and my wife and this couple and some other leaders. And we said, look, you guys, you, this is why we want you to do this. You really need to do it. And in the meeting, the wife like raised her voice and you know, lashed out at me. And, and I had this outburst of anger. Like in, Instead of calmly addressing the problem, I, I don't remember what I said. I didn't swear or anything. I just raised my voice and I, you know, sort of the how dare you thing. And immediately... I felt the quenching of the Spirit of God in my life. Because, see, here I was, the lead pastor of this church that God's Spirit was moving like crazy, and God gave me the privilege of being one of the leaders there, and therefore, He expected me to treat His people the way He wanted them treated and to handle conflict the way He wanted it handled. So for me, I had this Galatians 5 outburst of anger. It was sort of my Moses striking the rock moment. (laughs) I wish I could tell you I've only had one of them. I've had more, but this was one. You remember Moses, right? So Moses, the man of God, Moses, the man we'll get to meet in heaven one day. He leads God's people out of Egypt, the Red Sea parts. He's out in the the wilderness. He's leading them, and God's providing manna every day, and then they start grumbling and complaining. What are you doing, Moses? We're wandering around out here. What kind of leader are you? Are you going to lead us out here to die? We're hungry. We don't like this manna. We want to go back to Egypt. The food was better. It was spicier, and we're dying of thirst. Give us water. And he goes, God, why did you give me all these people? And God says, strike the rock. So he takes his staff, hits the rock, water comes out. Later on, they're complaining again. You let, you let us out here to die. And God says to Moses, speak to the rock. Remember what happened? So God just said, just speak to the rock, tell it to gush forth water. But instead, he said, you rebellious. And he slammed the rock. Water comes out because God is gracious. He's going to give water to his people, even though they're rebelling. But to Moses, there was a consequence. He said, Moses, because you did not treat me as holy in the midst of my people, you will not enter the promised land. You'll see it from afar, but you will not enter there. And so before, before Joshua led him into the promised land, God buried Moses, the body of Moses. And so uh, there was consequences. And there are to you and me when we blow up as well. And so this was kind of my Moses moment in that. So what did I do about that? I'm going to tell you later. Okay, let's keep going. Now, when someone hurts you and you say, I can't stand him or I can't stand here, your anger has turned to sin. And the scripture here says, in your anger... Don't sin. Romans chapter 12 says, Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. 
See, it's our job to love people. It's God's job to judge people because only God knows all the hearts and all the facts. Now, Jesus talked about this in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, Jesus, who's full of grace, he's also full of what? Truth. John chapter 1 says Jesus was full of grace and truth. He wasn't 50% grace and 50% truth. He was 100% grace and 100% truth. So even though he was 100% grace, he also told us God's heart and God's will and God's ways and God's truth. And in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, I tell you that anyone who's angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. And anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fires of hell. Wow. That's strong words. That's why Romans says, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. As far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. So the first admonition for you and me is in your anger, don't sin. Would you all say that out loud with me? In your anger, don't sin. Secondly, there's a second admonition. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. That's the second thing right here. How do you handle anger? How do you deal with it? Don't let the sun go down in your anger while you're still angry. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. The phrase, this phrase right here, is a way of saying that anger should never be allowed to fester. It needs to be dealt with quickly and gotten rid of. Going to bed angry with your husband or wife isn't a good thing. How many of you are married in this gathering? Uh, Have you had any of those late night disagreements? Any of you? Come on, be honest. If you have, raise your hand. I'm raising both. Okay. <laughs> yeah, anybody who's married knows what this is like, right? And it's always best, if you can, to stay up and deal with it so you don't get mad at each other and you're sleeping as far away from you as you can and you're just seething, kind of hoping it goes away. But sometimes it can be so late and you can be so tired that things get even worse. You ever been there? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so have I. Like, when I, when I was newly married, I've been married 39 years now. My wife is amazing. I wish she could be here today. Um, She was here to teach the conference. Her mom, uh, who's ready to meet Jesus, is in hospice in our home. They think she's probably going to go to be with the Lord this week. So Diane had to go straight back. But when we were newly married, I'm a little bit older than her. So I was in my 20s. She was 19. I was at this amazing church, like your church. It was growing like crazy. We had six services on a Sunday, 8 o'clock, 9, 10, 10, 20, 11, 30, 5 o'clock, 6.45. I was out four or five nights a week, long days. I was loving it. But sometimes I didn't get home till midnight. She had our little house that wasn't much to clean, and, and we didn't have a dog. And she was just eager to talk to me when I'd get home. And, and I'd be so tired. And sometimes it'd be late at night, and we'd be having heated fellowship. (laughs) And one time we got into this argument over a broken hairdryer. You say, what? Well, here's the deal. So my wife, she still has long hair, but she had really long hair when I married her, long blonde hair down to her waist practically. And so she'd dry it all the time. So her hair got, had gotten more and more clogged in the motor. Finally, it burned up the motor. So one day she came to me. I'm, we're newlyweds, right? She goes, will you fix this hair dryer? And don't ask me why I did this, but I said, sure. And I took it. <laughs> I can't fix anything. Like I'm like non-fix-it Phil. I don't know. <laughs> But, you know, my masculinity was being challenged because real men fix things, right? They build things. They know how to fix things. So I said, sure. I took it. She goes, thank you. She walked away, and I stuck it in the closet. I totally forgot about it. Now, you got to understand, Diane grew up with a father, Jack. I used to call him Handyman Jack because he could fix anything. He could build his own house. He did build his own house when he retired. 
And all her life, she grows up. Her dad was an engineer. He wasn't very talkative, but he would build her things, like build her a dollhouse. And when anything, everything broke, Daddy, will you fix this? Sure, sweetheart. A day or two later, here it is. He'd kiss her on the forehead. He'd, come, he'd wake her up in the morning with a kiss on the forehead. It's time to get up. And then she'd, he'd come back five minutes later, time to get up. You know, so this is handyman Jack, right? So then she marries me. Like, now, I'm a musician. I got saved out of a band. I'm a music pastor. I can write a song about the broken hairdryer, you know? yeah. which handyman Jack could not do. But in that moment, she didn't care. She, and so here we are. We're having this. She's going all emotional, ballistic on me. She told me I could tell you that, all right? Uh, and at about one in the morning, she goes, I feel like you don't love me. And I said, what? Why? She said, because you didn't fix the broken hair dryer. Now, what was really going on was we were both exhausted. Emotions were flying. Once I fell asleep in the middle of an argument. I don't recommend that. I was so tired. But this one, I didn't fall asleep, but it was not good. I got to tell you, there's a happy ending to this story. She eventually figured out pretty quick that I wasn't her father, (laughs) that I couldn't fix things like her dad could, that I actually was a different person, and I was going to love her in a different way. And then we both figured out that, hey, we can't both fully satisfy each other. If you go into marriage thinking, satisfy me, satisfy me, satisfy me, you're just going to be unhappy because you're both in it to take instead of to give. But soon she learned that only Jesus could satisfy the deepest longing in her heart for intimacy. And I realized that as much as I love her and as much as I love being with her, that I need to serve her and lay it. So when I laid down my life for her and she loves and honors me and Jesus is at the center, wow, then marriage becomes a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing. And so... um, but in this case, we, we probably should have waited until the morning. But the Bible does say here, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Now, back to the text. If we get angry and we refuse to forgive and we let the sun go down on our anger and continue in it, we've all been there. What happens? We lay in bed thinking about it. Then it, it swells up and becomes an even bigger thing in our mind. Then we get upset. We start playing out scenarios in our mind of what we're going to do next time we see that person. Or we start saying, well, this is what I should have said when I talked to him the other day. Finally, bitterness takes root, and it makes forgiveness even harder. Because anger is such a strong emotion, and it festers so easily, it needs to be taken care of quickly and confessed and given to God before the end of the day. So, in your anger, do not sin. Say that with me. In your anger... Don't let the sun go down in your anger. And then there's one more admonition. We're heading towards the end. Do not give the devil a foothold. That's the third admonition from the Lord to you and me right here. If I continue in sinful anger, if I refuse to forgive, I open up my life to the attacks of Satan. That's what it says here in his demonic kingdom of creeps. The verse says we give him a foothold. Another translation says, don't give him an opportunity. Literally, it's don't give him place in your life. I don't know about you, but I have enough problems with my own selfishness and my own tendency to not do what I should do and do what I should do. I don't need to then open up my life and say, hey, Satan, come on in. I'm going to give you some place to make things even crazier and worse. 
Why would I do that? And so that's exactly what we do when we refuse to obey the admonitions in this verse. Now, the Apostle Paul, who's writing these words, he was very conscious of the reality of spiritual warfare. In chapter six, he talks about it. Hey, we don't wage war against flesh and blood, against people. It's against powers and principalities, spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. You and I are in the midst of a spiritual battle, the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Satan, and you're seeing it all over our nation right now. And everybody's trying to figure out how to solve it. Nobody knows what to do about it. The only answer is a full-on revival in our nation for people to come back to Jesus and repent and say, oh, Jesus, forgive us. Your mercy be upon us and save us. And so if we get caught up in it, though, then we can't be a witness to it because we're just becoming like all the other people that are complaining around. And if we just continue to let anger fester, Satan comes in and things get even worse. Don't think for a minute that all the anger in America right now and the people hating each other and the bad examples that we're seeing everywhere and the racial injustice, don't think that there isn't some demonic stuff going on behind it. There is. It's all being fueled by Satan and his demonic kingdom. And you're blessed to have a pastor who not only understands this, but he is passionate about it because he's experienced it. I heard his testimony last night. We got to have dinner together, and wow, it's a powerful testimony. And at the end, he said, I believe in spiritual warfare. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world, but this is real. And so when it says here, when God says to you, don't give the devil opportunity, he means don't give the devil opportunity. This can really happen. That's why James chapter 4, verse 7 says, submit yourselves to God resist the devil and he will what? Flee from you. When we don't, then the the problem gets energized to a whole nother level. If we give him room to operate, he'll take advantage of our unconfessed anger and he will come in and wreak havoc. You know, Satan, is he's called a lot of different things. None of them are good. Let me give you a few. The prince of darkness, the destroyer, the father of lies, the adversary, on and on and on. He's a horrible, horrible person. So why would we open up our life to him? That's the bad news. (laughs) Great, have a great day. Let me give you the good news. (laughs) The good news is if I don't let my anger lead to sin, if I don't allow it to continue, if I don't let the sun go down on my anger, then I don't open the door for the devil to tempt me. That's the good news. Hallelujah. Now, as we wrap up, um, you're going to have plenty of opportunities this week to get angry, to get stressed, to get offended. You don't have to ask God for one. <laughs> they will come your way on their own, won't they? Like, Lord, today, give me an, give an opportunity to see if I can handle anger. No, they'll come your way naturally, all right? You're gonna get them. So before we stand and pray, let me give you three things that I pray will be helpful. When I have the opportunity to teach the Bible, I'm not a gifted teacher like your pastor, but I always like to say, so what? What does this mean in my life tomorrow on Monday? Let me give you three things. When you feel this anger coming on for whatever reason, number one, identify the cause of your anger. What's at the root of your anger? You're going through Genesis right now, and I mentioned Cain and Abel. Well, you know, this is interesting. In Genesis chapter four, God comes to Cain, and he says, why are you angry? He actually asked Cain this. Why are you angry? And then he goes on. He keeps talking to him. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you don't do what is right, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you, but you must master it. Whoa, that sounds like Ephesians 4 to me. Like, hey, Satan is at the door. Hey, why are you mad, Cain? If you do what is right, it's going to be okay. But if you don't, sin's crouching at the door trying to master you. God told him this before he killed his brother. 
So God came to him and appealed to him and gave him an opportunity to do the right thing, but he didn't listen. The Bible says Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out into the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. How many times does God come to you and me and he whispers to us? And those of you who are married, you know, it's like, don't say it. Don't, and we say, yeah. And we don't listen. And havoc is the result. That happens to us too. God gently speaks, but we don't listen. Um, we push God away. Anger flies. The results are devastating. By the way, in your anger, don't sin here at Ephesians 4. If you look at it closely, you Bible students, it's, it's a quote of an Old Testament verse, Psalm 4, verse 4. The New Testament often quotes the Old Testament. In my Bible, it's really simple to see because it's in capital letters. It's quoting Psalm 4, verse 4. Well, if you turn back to Psalm 4, verse 4, guess what the next verse says? Meditate in your heart upon your bed and be still. So in your anger, don't sin. Instead, meditate on your bed and be still and say, God, why, why am I angry? My wife, who's godly and beautiful, she has learned to practice this. Uh, when she was 26, she started losing her hearing and going deaf. And over a period of years, she finally went completely deaf. She had a surgery, a thing called a cochlear implant. So she's able to put this device on and we can actually teach together but it's exhausting for her to hear. So she's supposed to take it off regularly. So when she gets up in the morning with this thing off, she hears nothing. So that it can be thundering outside, but she goes out to this little cottage in our backyard. She has her Bible open. She hears nothing, but she hears the Lord. And she has a blog for women. You can check it out. He speaks in the silence.com. And, and she writes out of this time with the Lord, and it's just beautiful and healing. But she told me the other day, she said, I've learned to go out there when I'm hurt or upset or angry, even at me or whatever, you know, and say, why am I angry? Lord, what's, what's, here's her question. What's this all about, Lord? And then she listens. And he always answers her, not necessarily immediately, but always consistently. And so we, we were joking about this hairdryer thing, and we said, well, how would, how would we handle it? She's, I said, how would you handle that now? She goes, it's easy. I get up in the morning, I go out there, and I say, Lord, why am I so mad at Phil because he didn't fix my hairdryer? What's going on? Why am I feeling all this? <laughs> and, and, you know, you know, and I said, I, I know what the Lord would tell you. Phil is not, he can't fix things. <laughs> he's not that smart. <laughs> he's kind of an idiot. Oh, whatever, no, no, I don't know what God would say. We say, he's not your father. But he loves you. He can write songs for you. You know, I think God would have spoken to her and she would have realized that I never will be able to be, do things her dad did. And she would probably then, I get it. And so I, you're saying, Lord, yeah, I, I need to accept him for who he is. And she would have got up, thrown the hairdryer away and went and got another one. <laughs> but not then. We were up too late. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> it's always good to understand and examine ourselves and say, Lord, What's this all about? By the way, that's what we're supposed to do at the communion table as well. Now, secondly, speak truth. Sometimes lies play over in our mind and we get angry about stuff that's not even true. Like, you know, he broke up with me because he doesn't think I'm pretty enough. He thinks she's prettier and that's not even it at all. Or whatever it might be, it comes at us and Satan is the father of lies. He throws these lies at us. If we start believe them, believing them, sometimes we get angry and it's not even true. So we need to speak truth, all right? We need to think about what we think about. Otherwise, we get angry for the wrong reason. Next, forgive the person that's hurt you. This is huge. This is huge. Anger is usually connected to a person that offended us or we think we were offended by them and we 
need to forgive. If you don't, you'll become bitter. Bitterness will eat at you. It will steal your joy. It will rob you of peace. It will ruin your relationships with all the people around you. Mark Twain said this. I love Mark Twain. He's really funny at times, but he had something to say about anger. Here it is, quote, anger is an acid that can do more harm to the vessel in which it is stored than do anything on which it is poured. What he's saying is it's going to hurt you more than the person you're angry at. And then Ralph Waldo Emerson said this. Where's Waldo? He's right here. For every minute you remain angry, you give up 60 seconds of peace of mind. I like that. So before we stand and pray, who do you need to forgive? Or who do you need to forgive again? Have you noticed that about forgiveness? You forgive and then it still comes back and you have to forgive again. It comes back. It's like pushing a log back into the ocean. That's, that's the way it is. That's why Peter came to Jesus. How many times do I have to forgive? Lord, seven? He said, no, Peter, 70 times seven because we need to forgive over and over and over again just as God has forgiven us. Here's a harder one though. Who do you need to ask forgiveness of? And if God brings a person to mind, will you do it? Earlier, I mentioned that story that I told you. I'm opening up my heart to you, you know, where I lost my temper in that meeting. What did I do about it? Well, I'll tell you what I did about it. So two years go by, three years, four years. Periodically at the communion table, I'd be going to take the bread and the cup, and I like to say, Lord, is there any sin in my life I need to confess? Periodically, this would come up, and I'd say, Lord, yeah, I really blew it. I was angry. I shouldn't have. Please forgive me. Okay, I forgive you. But then it would come up again like three months later, and like, and I, wow, that, Lord, that was like four years ago, five years ago, six years ago, seven years. One Saturday night, not too long ago, I was getting ready to preach the next day, and here it was again, this time really strong, like you need to call and ask, ask her forgiveness. I go, Lord, it's like it's been seven years, like, and they're not even here anymore. They went out and started another church, you know, in another place, and, but it was so strong. I said, okay, well, you're not going to let me go, are you, Lord? And so I, I said, well, okay. I looked at my phone. I had a new iPhone. Oh, I don't have their number anymore. <laughs> I'm off the hook. And as soon as I said that, God said, text Brooke. Brooke is this other guy that would have had his number. I go, oh, it's like Saturday night. It's like 20 minutes to 10. He's probably asleep. Text him. <laughs> so I texted him, hoping he wouldn't answer. 60 seconds later, ding, here's the guy's number. So I pick up the phone. I call. Picks right up. It was awkward, but he was friendly gosh, I haven't talked to you in so long. And we talked for a little bit. I said, do you mind, can I talk to your wife for a couple of minutes? She goes, sure, she's right here. So he hands her the phone. And I said, you're, you're going to think this is crazy, but do you remember like way back that meeting we had at my office where, you know, it got heated and I got, she goes, oh yeah, I remember. <laughs> and I said, you know, the Lord has just really shown me that what I did was wrong. I asked her forgiveness, got really quiet. She started to cry. Anyway, give the phone back to her husband. We talked a little bit, hung up, and within 60 seconds, I get a text from him. Thank you so much. You have no idea what that meant to us. When can we get together? So all this healing happened. Now, why am I telling you this? To tell you, look at me. I'm pretty amazing. Huh? Look what I did. No, it's like, why did it take me, even as a pastor, seven years to do that? should have taken me seven seconds. In the meeting, I should have asked forgiveness or at least seven hours, or seven days, seven years? Come on. It shows you Jesus has a lot more work to do in my life to make me more like him. But who do you need to ask forgiveness of? And to do that, you know, there's going to be a person, a problem, a situation that you need to give to him. It's going to take faith to forgive. But here's what I love. The Bible says if we cast all our cares upon him, 
We can do it because he cares for you. In fact, let me read to you a translation of that verse that is my favorite translation of 1 Peter 5, 7. You can throw all the weight of your anxieties upon him for you are his personal concern. Isn't that beautiful? Like you can say, Lord, this is hard. I don't know how I'm ever going to get the courage to pick up that phone, so I throw it on you. You care about me. Give me the courage to do it. Well, we need to live the Jesus way, gang. We need to deal with anger the Jesus way so that we can shine like stars in the midst of this crooked generation that needs so desperately to come to Jesus. Amen? Amen. All right, let's stand together and As the worship uh, gang comes back up, I just want to pray for you. Just put your stuff down and stand up. And Before I pray, would you just before the Lord say, God, what's this about? If you've been experiencing some anger or some frustration, ask the Lord, why? Why? What's going on? And he'll answer you. Maybe not right this moment. He might right now be telling you. He might be saying it's because you need to forgive so-and-so because you hurt them also. (laughs) And that's my second thing. Who do you need to forgive? And then the hard one. Who do you need to ask forgiveness of? And if there's a person like there was in my life, would you say, Lord, by your grace, with the courage you give today, tomorrow, whatever, I'm going to do it. Father, thank you for each person here whom you love deeply. You not only created them, you gave up your life, Lord Jesus, on the cross to save them and to reconnect them to the God who is loved, to your Father. And may, Lord, this church filled with these men and women and children shine for you in this area that's desperately in need of you. Would you bless them, Lord? And would this be a church that continues to be filled with the love of God, the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, and the peace of Jesus to a world that's trying to find its way, but it needs to come back to you. May we be those who help them along the way to the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen. God bless.